0: You've been with us, you know this whole book is about the church and how the church is to continue to fight the good fight. And the Apostle Paul is teaching young Timothy, his protege, the pastor of the church there in Ephesus, how to do those things. And today he's going to talk to him about being an example. I don't know about you, but for me, um, one of my heroes, I'll, I'll let you in on a secret. He played basketball at the University of North Carolina. He went on to play uh, in the pros, no, it's not Michael Jordan, uh, though I love watching Michael Jordan. But my hero growing up w- was a man by the name of Eric Montross. He was seven foot tall, he wore double zero, and he was my example of how to play basketball. Unfortunately, I was all of about five foot nine inches tall, so uh, that example didn't play out well for me. But everything that Eric Montrose did on a basketball court, I emulated from his jersey to his haircut. To his shoes, I mean, just everything. And I wanted to be him so badly. I was willing to lose myself uh, to be him. I looked ridiculous. I had a, a haircut that was just horrendous. But man, I was going to, I went to the barber in high school every two weeks to make sure my hair looked just like his. Uh, and my parents were like, why are you spending all that money? I was like, because I want to be Eric montreal Uh, As you see, I never grew to be seven feet tall. I never went on to play college basketball or the pros. Uh, But I I think if each of us were honest with ourselves, there's been someone in our life that has set the example that we wanted to be like, um, that we wanted to grow up being like. Well, now Paul is going to tell young Timothy that he is to be the example, that he is to set the example for people within the church and outside the church. He's going to tell them how to do this in three ways. He's going to tell young Timothy to be the example in his living, to be his example in his ministry, and to be his exam- to be the example in his perseverance. And so I believe that this book is written to young Timothy, to a pastor, and so the letter is to a pastor. But I believe the principles that we see throughout That's scary. I don't like thunder. so I was like, is it thunder or something's wrong with the microphone? We'll go with thunder. I I believe that this text is written to a young pastor, but I believe this text is written to every believer in the room. So my hope is that you wouldn't read this passage and say, well, I'm never going to be a pastor. I'm never uh, this passage and say I'm going to be a pastor. But that you would read this text, we'd study this text and Say, how can I apply this if I'm a believer today to my life? How can I be an example to a world in the way I live? How can I in my ministry? Because all of us are called to ministry. If you're a believer, you're called to ministry. And then how can I set the example in my perseverance? So let's look at the first one together. To be an example in his living or in our living, the Apostle Paul says writes this. Command and teach these things in verse 11. What are these things that young Timothy is to both command and to teach? That's what he just talked about, what we talked about last week. These things are how he is to fight the good fight, to protect the church from false doctrines. Remember, he we looked at uh, two weeks ago that some of the false doctrines were what they were eating and how they weren't to be merry. And so there's all this false theology that was going on in the church. And then last week he said, hey, you were to be a good servant. You were to live a life of godliness. And this is what it looks like to live a life of godliness. Now he's saying to Timothy, hey, now you set the example. You teach the church how to fight the good fight in their, in their um, lives. And he tells them, there's five things, young Timothy, that you must fight the good fight. And you must set the example. These five things are found in verse 12. Let no one despise you because of your youth. Just as a sidebar, that word youth means uh, that young Timothy. Many people come to this passage and think that Timothy was a teenager. That's not the case. Timothy was about 30 uh, to 35 years old. Uh, He was young in the church, meaning the church in that day when they heard of elders, elders were well into their 60s. And so the elders of the church were wise, older men, and yet, Timothy was placed there by the apostle Paul to exhort the word of God, and so he came in. You'll see it throughout First, um, Second Timothy. Young Timothy was a timid man. Uh, in his timidity, he had stomach issues. He had fear, and so Paul is giving young Timothy an exhortation: Don't let anyone in the church look down on you because you are young, but be have boldness as you teach these things and as you live your life, live with Boldness. Set the example, He tells him. So He says these five things, you are to be an example. But set for the believers an example. First in your speech, then in your conduct, then in your love, and in your faith, and in your purity. So five things that we see. His speech, His conduct, His love, and His purity. The first two that Paul addresses to young Timothy, he addresses his external speech and conduct, right? What Paul is saying, he's going to borrow what Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount. You see that in uh, the Luke's account of the Sermon of the Mount. He said, out of the heart, the abundance, the, the mouth speaks. So what he's saying is what your conduct in your speech is going to reveal to the people, both inside the church and outside the church, what's going on in your heart. So you must set an example with what you speak about because what you speak about reveals what's going on in Your heart. You look throughout uh, the Proverbs. The Proverbs talk about to to speak and not to use a lot of words. Said With with much words comes much sin. You see that throughout the Proverbs. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, in your conduct, the way you live your life, set the example first, how you talk. And so I wonder, church, for us, are we setting the example and what comes out of our mouth? To a lost world. Uh, The Apostle Paul in another one of his letters says this. He says, when you talk, uh, do it so that you would speak praise over one another or encourage one another to um, encourage them in the faith. So speech is the first one. Then the second one is your conduct. The The word conduct means in the Greek there is how you live your everyday ordinary life. It's how you live your life. Does it match up with what you say to be true about the gospel. Those two things cannot be in conflict. If they're in conflict, if your life and your uh, what you say to be true about your walk with Christ, if they're in conflict, I'd say you must do an examination of your life and your heart. Are you truly a believer? Because when you come to know Jesus, and I come to know Jesus, the power of Christ rests in me, and therefore all of my life must look different. I can't just simply walk an aisle, pray a prayer, turn around and go out the church as if nothing took place in my life. That does not show the power of Christ in me to other people. That's where testimonies come in. Is the testimony of your life and the testimony of my life a demonstration to a lost world that there is a working God in my life and your life, the church? We talked about this several weeks ago. This is where so many people outside the church have an issue With us in the church. It's not this they have the issue with. Primarily. It's with us they have the issue with. I've heard it. You've heard it. Why come to know Jesus. If nothing changes in your life. We set the example to a lost world. We must be what Jesus says in Matthew 5. We must be the salt and light of the world. The light. A light attracts things. Salt adds flavor to things. Salt perseveres things preserve things and so is our conduct a demonstration to the world and to people around us that Christ has done something in us so those are the first two external things the next two how the next three how we are to set an example in our living are these three words love faith and purity he says set an example in your speech and in your conduct and now he goes into the heart has your heart been changed? And So the first word he uses is the word love. The Christian love ought to be, look totally different than the love of the world. Christian love ought to look self sacrificing And what does Jesus say? Jesus himself says this, that we are to love each other. We are to lay our, down our lives for each other as the church. Do we, church, have a, a sacrificial love for one another and for the world? Or are we selfish? Is it all about me? Is it all about us? Or do we live with self-sacrifice? The next one, he says this, and, and our way or we are to live is through, is through our faith. Now that word faith is not talking about our saving faith. That word faith in the Greek has everything to do with our faithfulness to our call. Are we faithful into the things God has called us to? Do, do we see the love of Christ in us and do we live faithfully to what God has called us to? And that's what he's saying. Do we live faithful lives to a world around us? And the next and last one is purity. The Greek word has everything to do with sexual purity, but it also has to do with moral purity. So both in our lives and our sexual lives are they Pure lives. We live pure lives before a lost world. What does Jesus say in the uh, Sermon on the Mount? He says, uh, if you've ever lusted after a woman, you've already committed adultery. He's talking about the heart. Not just talking about the external. He's talking about the heart. Has there been a heart change in us? And has our morals been changed? We have a purity about us. So that's how we are to set an example by our speech, our conduct, Our love, our faith, and our purity. So I'd ask the question for us, church this morning, how are we doing in those five things? How are you doing in those five things? And how am I doing in those five things? The next thing he says is this, that we must set an example in our ministry. He says this in verse 13 through 15. Until I come, Paul is saying to Timothy, I'm coming back to the church of Ephesus, But until I come, until I resume some of my duties, this is what you are to do. You are to devote yourselves to three things. That word devotion means this, to turn our minds or to uh, occupy our minds with. I'll let you in on a secret. Um, Not too long ago, uh, not as much now, but not too long ago, I, uh, I love playing Candy Crush. Anyone else in here? I mean, I'm just being honest. The, the new one out uh, right now is another game I, I play quite often. But I knew I was devoting myself to Candy Crush when my mind began, when I was sleeping, I began to have dreams about how I could be a level in Candy Crush. And I thought, that is a problem. That I've devoted myself to Candy Crush too much because my mind, even when I was sleeping and resting, was thinking about Candy Crush. I, am I the only one? I guess I am. No one else is going to be honest. this. The new one right now, I, I haven't got there yet, is Tomb Blast. That's another one. That, those, those things, I will devote myself to those things. I had to finally erase Candy Crush. I was like, I, it's a problem. And I'm dreaming about it, so I, I deleted it off my phone. I've not played since. Uh, I might have to do that. Jenny says I might have to do that with uh, Toon Blast too. But I, I've devoted myself to those things. And, and I wonder, I know that's a silly example. What are some other things in our lives... That we've devoted ourselves to. That when we're not doing anything that our mind is thinking about. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying to Timothy. Devote yourselves to these things that even while you're not thinking about these things, you're thinking about these things. Has it become all-consuming to us? So he says these things. We must devote ourselves to these things. The first one is to the public reading of God's Word. If you've ever wondered why why do we here at this church all stand for the reading of God's Word before I preach, that's because it's biblical, it's scriptural. That's not just because we want to add that to our service, we want to be a very biblically minded church, and God's Word says for us to come together and to devote ourselves to the reading of God's Word together. So when we ask you to stand before the preaching, we do that because God's Word commands us to do that. It's not just so that you'll know the verse I'm covering. It's so that your heart will know the verse that I'm covering. How do we know this to be true? It's been an old, old, old tradition in the church. It's been an old, old command in the church. And we see that all the way back in Nehemiah chapter 8. In Nehemiah chapter 8, several years ago, I taught through the book of Nehemiah. What Nehemiah did and the, the prophet Ezra did He called all the people that were in exile to come and for a a whole afternoon from the time the sun rose to lunchtime, they stood and read the entire uh, penitent together. Uh, You you think I am long-winded. I mean, they were standing there for hours and all that the prophet was doing was doing what Paul says here to young Timothy. Be devoted to reading God's word out loud in a congregation if all that we did was come and read god's word that is ought to be enough for us but he doesn't stop there he doesn't say just devote yourselves to the to the reading of god's word he then gives them a few other things the next one he says is to the exhortation give yourself to the public reading of god's word and to the exhortation of of god's word what does exhortation mean the word exhortation means that we ought to use god's word to challenge other people with when i'm exhorting god's word i don't want to just read god's word to you but i want to exhort god's word to you that this word would challenge you to go back and that your conduct your speech your love your purity will be changed not because of my exhortation, but because of the exhortation of God's word. And so that's what he's saying to young Timothy. As you exhort God's word and teach it, this will change the hearts of the people in your congregation. So we must be devoted to reading God's word, but I must be devoted to exhorting God's word to you. But here's what's also true. You are called by God to exhort God's word. other people. We see that in the Great Commission. Go and what? Teach. Go and exhort God's Word. Go and make disciples. So exhortation ought not to happen just in a pulpit, but exhortation of God's Word ought to happen in our everyday, ordinary lives wherever we go. The next one he says that we are not only to read God's Word, we're not only to exhort God's Word, but we are to teach God's Word. The word teach means this, that we are to explain God's Word. That means I want to be faithful in taking God's Word and His text and teach you exactly what it means. That's why here at Palace Chapel, we believe in expository preaching. Meaning expository preaching means this, I will always go verse by verse by verse through a book of the Bible. I don't want to hop around God's Word. And pick this and pick this and come up with this idea and this topic and this topic. Because that's not what changes. But God wrote His Word in an order that it ought to be taught in order. Just like when you teach kids, you don't start with uh, division. You start with addition. Same is true for God's Word. We want to start and lead to where God is going. So we must teach the Word of God. You are to teach the Word of God. This is what one writer says. Philip Rankin, he's the president of uh, Wheaton Bible College in Chicago. He says this, the Bible is to be read, the Bible is to be explained, and ultimately the Bible is to be applied. We must, every week that we come, and we will faithfully do it, we will read God's Word together. I will exhort God's Word to you, and I will explain God's Word to you, that it would produce life change in you. I don't want to be the I don't want to be what changes your life. What I want is that this would change your life. So you must be devoted to reading God's word, to teaching God's word, and exhorting God's word. He says this in your ministry, as you read the word of God, as you preach the word of God, and you teach the word of God, he says this in verse 14 do not neglect the gift that you have. That means do do not let your gift, and every single person in this room, every believer has been giving a gift from God. If you'll turn with me to uh, two places. Ephesians chapter 4 is the first place we'll turn. I taught on this when we walked through the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 4 verse 11. Remember, this is the church. He's talking in the book of Ephesians about the church the same way that here 1 Timothy is about the church. He says this, And Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, He gave to them the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds. So all of us in this room are falling to one of those five places. You either have the gift of apostleship you have the gift of being a prophet you have the gift of an evangelist you have the gift of being a shepherd you have the gift of being a teacher all of us that covers everyone in this room fall into one of those five places he also says turn with me to first corinthians chapter 12 verse 28 the apostle paul writes to the church in corinth about the gifts of the church some of the gifts that He appointed to the church. All of us would fall into one of these categories. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helping and administrating in various kinds of tongues. All of us have been given gifts by God. My great fear for us is, A, we don't know the gifts God has given to us. Or B, we've neglected the gifts that God has given to us but every one of us in this building this morning if you're a believer has been giving a gift by God to be used for the edification of the church and if you're not using your gift then you're doing all of us in this church a disservice because again in 1 Corinthians he tells us that we're one body made of a multiple parts, and all of the parts of the body make a difference to the body. They're all important, and we all must work together. And in working together, we must use our gifts together. And so I encourage you this week, go online, find a gifts test, and just take an assessment. What and how has God gifted you? And then come back to me. Come back to Frank. Come back to Dickens. We want to use your gifts in the church to edify the church, and then send you out to use your gifts in the community. But my great fear is we've neglected the gifts that God has been given to us. He says this, that you have, which has been given to you by the prophecy when the council of arrows laid hand, hands on you. That's just the same way that we do ordination and did deacon ordination. That was an ordination for young Timothy when God had placed on him to be a pastor. The, the elders of the church came and affirmed what they saw had God had already appointed. And so, in your ministry, in my ministry, how am I using the gifts that God has given to me? He goes on to say it this way. Not only that, but we must do this in verse 15. Practice these things. That has everything to do with with the ongoing usage is of the gift. You must not just use your gift one time, but you and I must use our gift on a continual basis. We must make, it's, it's the idea of practice makes perfect. The more you practice your gifts, the more you'll hone your gifts, and the more you'll define your gifts, and the more, the more you'll use your gifts, the, the more that you'll get out of your gifts and other people will get out of your gifts. Now, the deacons have been giving me a hard time. I won't name all of them. But I I did not start out as, I'm not saying I'm a great teacher, but when I was first saved and got into the pulpit the first time, it was a train wreck. But I had to continue to practice the gift that God gave me in preaching and teaching. And my prayer is that I don't rest today at 41 years of age on the gift of this teaching. That I pray for the next 40 years that I'll, I'll be like, John Calvin, that my last sermon would literally be on my deathbed with a group of people around me. And I'll continue to practice the gift of teaching and preaching. But I pray that would be true for you. Whatever God has given to you, that you'll practice that gift to the day that God calls you home. And that you'll perfect that gift that God has called you to. And he says this, not only practice them, but be fully immersed in them. He says that in verse 15. Do not neglect the gifts. Practice these things and immerse yourselves in them. That means be fully engulfed in them. Goes back to what he said. Are you devoted to these things? When you're not thinking about anything, you're sitting there with a blank mind. Where does your mind go? Does it go to how God's gifted you and how you can use? God's gift to bring, and we'll see this in a moment, the salvation of other people. And he says this as you work out your giftings so that all may see your progress. That word progress is a military term to me, to me moving forward or to continue advancing. And people in your life see that you're using your gifts and then affirm how that gift is moving forward in your life. And how that you are using that gift to advance God's kingdom in this lost world. And the last that we'll leave with is this. The example in our perseverance. How come God has called us to set an example? How come God has given us all these gifts? It's found right here in this last verse in 16. Keep close. Watch over yourselves and on, on the teaching, or on your doctrine, he says it in the way. Or am I watching close what is being taught to me and what I'm listening to? And this is the reason why we keep a close watch on our doctrine and on our teaching. That we persist in this. The persistence is keeping watch over our lives and over our doctrine, For by them they will save both yourselves and your hearing. It's God's faithful Word, is what He's saying, that saves us. Amen? God's Word is what saves. This is the only thing that saves. And so, Paul is saying, young Timothy, keep watch over what you are being taught and what you're teaching other people. Because in your teaching, and what's being taught to you, will bring salvation to you. That's both... Justification, salvation, and sanctification, salvation, which will ultimately bring glorification, salvation. So he's saying to young Timothy, be paid close attention to what's going in you and what's coming out of you in terms of your doctrine and your teaching, because it will save you. And then he says this it's a very odd phrase in this text. By, by doing these things, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. What Paul is not saying is that salvation comes through Timothy. Salvation does not come through man. But what he's saying to young Timothy is as you watch your teaching and your doctrine, God will use you as the instrument to bring salvation. You and I become the conduit of His Holy Spirit working through us to call lost people to Himself. But if we don't have our teaching healthy, then the salvation of other people gets really messed up. Not to name names, but I'll do it. Joel Olstein would say he's preaching the gospel. And I just wonder how many people are going to stand before a holy God and say, well, Joel Osteen said this, I believe this, and he'll say to them, I never knew you. Because Joel Olstein's teaching is anti-this. And so what God is saying to us and to through the Apostle Paul to Timothy, now to us, what is taught in this matters deeply for eternal sake. So I would say this to you. Everything that's taught in this pulpit, my prayer is that you just wouldn't take my word for it, but you'd go home and you'd study study it and study it and study it and study it yourself. I've studied it and studied it and studied it and studied it. But here's what I know to be true about me. I'm a flawed man. I'm a flawed man. Now, in saying that, I don't come up here hoping to teach falsely. I dedicate myself to the Word. I dedicate myself to prayer. I dedicate myself to diligence so that I don't do those things. But here's what I'm not. I'm not Jesus. I'm flawed. And so my hope and challenge to you is if I teach something that just rubs you the wrong way, go study it on your own. And here's what could be true. I might be wrong. And so you going to study it on your own and coming back and presenting it to me after you study it on your own may challenge me and challenge my thinking and my process of how I see the Word. And so you doing that would help save me. But I hope this helps save you and I hope our doctrine Help save other people. In closing, let's all turn to Romans chapter 10. See, our desire here at Palace Chapel, my hope and desire for you as a believer is that people around you would come to know Christ. And that Christ would use you, the conduit, to draw people to Himself. Romans ten thirteen through 15. This is what we believe to be true. Verse 13 says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We believe that, amen? And that's our desire, that people will call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Well, then the Apostle Paul in Romans asked the question, how then will they call on Him who have they not believed? Like if they're calling Him to be saved, then how are they going to call on Him? Like how's, that, how's this all going to work? And he says, how are they to believe in him who they've never heard? So if they are to call on his name to be saved and they've got to believe that, how are they going to hear that? He says in this, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? He just told us right there in the text that salvation comes through what? Preaching. How are they to hear? How are they to believe without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And then he says this. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So here's what we believe. You must be sent to go preach so that they will hear, so that they will believe, so that they will be saved goes right back to what we're studying in first timothy chapter 4 so that people will be saved by what the preaching of god's word and here's what i know to be true preaching does not have to happen in a 35 to 40 minute window on sunday morning we the people of god ought to go out and be sent out of this place to preach the word of god but we must be committed to to Word of God. Remember, that's what Paul has been telling Timothy over and over and over and over again in a bunch of different ways. Be devoted to the Word of God. How come we want to be devoted to the Word of God? Because we want to glorify God and we want to win lost people. Is that true for us? As a church, and is that true for you as an individual? And in closing, I'd say this. What have you devoted yourself to? Is it like me, Candy Crush? Candy Crush ain't going to do a a whole lot of people any good. But I've, I've, I've devoted myself to the reading, the exhortation, and the teaching of God's Word. I want to, when I sit on the couch and think nothing, I want my mind to wander back to the truth of God. I want to be holy. Godly and blameless. So I can teach and preach so that people will come to know Christ Jesus. Amen? Let us pray. God, You have called us to be the example. To set the example both to believers and unbelievers. But God... For each of us, we need an example to be able to set the example. And you, Jesus, are the ultimate example of what it means to live a holy and godly life. Your faithfulness, your kindness, your goodness, your mercy to us, you gave us the Word of God to show us the example. Your Word is our example how to live godly lives. And there's so many distractions in this world that will draw our attention away from You, will draw our thoughts away from Your Word, but I pray that You would give us perseverance to stay the course and stay in Your Word. That it would produce something in us. A life of holy speech. A life of blameless conduct. A life of sacrificial love. A life of faith and faithfulness. And a life of purity. I pray that for anyone in the room this morning. Wherever we're at in our journey with you, that we see you as the ultimate example and we would live our lives according to your example. And then out of that, God, that we would say, as the Apostle Paul said, follow me. As I follow Christ. The question has to be. In my life and the lives of everyone in here. Am I following you? Am I surrendering my will and my life over to your care God? And I pray if there's anyone in here this morning. That does not know you as Lord and Savior of their lives. That this morning will be the morning that you would draw them to yourself. And they'd see you as the ultimate example. How to live life and life to the full. That's the promise you've given to us. So lead us this morning. Guide us. Thank You for the ultimate example in Your Son, Jesus. Pray this in the sweet name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Amen. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen.